0: rpn the roddenberry podcast network
1: mission log live is brought to you by eagle moss hero collector and their collection of exclusive star trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at hero collector.com slash books use promo code mission 10 at checkout for 10 percent off all books and graphic novels It's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so it must be time for Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau, your co-host for this live episode this evening, and with me, continuing her journey through Star Trek Discovery Season 3, is Holly Amos. Holly, how are you?
2: I'm good, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm so excited to be on this show with you. This is the first time uh, that we're working together.
2: Me too, yeah. we've. I've only worked with uh champion so far. I have to call him champion. There's too many Johns in the Star Trek universe, so I have to call him champion. But yeah, this is our first time working together, so I'm excited.
1: Me too, and you know, there are a lot of Johns, but you know what? There are even more Pauls, Pauls in our, in our group. Hopefully all the Pauls show up so that we see a huge cavalcade of Paul's but I just want to say hi to the people that have come into the chat this evening hello Dominic hello Carlos Carlos I don't think you're first I think Dominic is first at least that's the way I'm reading it and hello to Narda so thank you for joining us I know that a lot more people will be joining us soon we had a little bit of a technical difficulty earlier on but Earl is working that out
2: oh and it looks like it's fixed
1: are we fixed it's yes. fixed. yay
2: we Earl... just had the wrong header at the top you guys it's fine now it's fine it's fine
1: that's because Earl is amazing. Earl, you know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm so glad it's you and not me. Uh, <laughs> but as everyone settles into the show, I just want to let you know that if you want to talk live with us here on the show, make sure you click on the Zoom link or use the one tap on your smartphone or call, and wait for it because I usually get this wrong, 669-900-6833. That's 669 669-900- 900 6833, and Earl is standing by, waiting to get you set up in our call queue. So, uh, let's, um, let's catch up a little bit, Holly, you and I, because I was actually ghosting the last show, and I was listening to you and John, and you are super excited about this show. At least you were super excited about the first episode. I can't speak yet for the second episode, but we'll get to that in a second.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, the first episode, it, <laughs> I gotta say, it's one of, one of the best season openers, I think. And God, how many Star Trek, <laughs> how many Star Trek seasons are there? We're almost at 800 episodes. We're like 10 shy of 800 episodes in the franchise a right Trek. now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, we'll be over 800 when Discovery ends, but yeah, uh, I, I think that it was one of the best season openers. And, um, the fact that the t- first two episodes are completely divided in terms of, who were focused on? Um, brilliant. Did you good job, you, writers?
1: <laughs> do you consider episodes one and two the opening episode, or do you count them as two separate episodes?
2: I mean, I count them as two separate episodes, but I mean, obviously, they had the same thought process. Where you know, the first episode, we need to catch up with this character. The second episode, we need to catch up with these characters. And mm-hmm. obviously, we find out spoilers um, uh, that we we find out at the end of the episode that they're they've arrived a year apart. So a year apart. I. Totally makes sense
3: and I
1: love that that's that's such a like an emotional statement that that Burnham and maybe we'll see this like later on in some flashback sequences that Burnham has been waiting all this time. what's she been doing for that year you know uh with book and with uh, and more importantly with grudge
2: <laughs> <laughs> more importantly <laughs> speaking of grudge though grudge got the most votes on our poll last week.
1: I voted for grudge. I love Which, that.
2: I mean, the original poll question was supposed to be, what's your favorite returning alien species in Disco? And we decided to put cat in there, even though it's not. <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe grudge is from another planet. Who knows? Uh, Orion's got 13% and Dorian's got 21%. Lorian's, Mourn's race, if mm-hmm. you didn't know, um, got 19% and cat cat got 47%, 47 percent. 47 yeah
1: number <laughs> we hit the number thank you all very much for voting in and getting us to that 47 percent. i uh in um in one of the uh yes you're right carlos the comments are being weird we'll have that sorted out hopefully so we can read more of your comments but there is a little bit of shade that was being cast in one of carlos's comments norman and holly now we'll get to some interesting commentary wow all right john
2: <laughs> oh. All right, well, go vote in this. Uh, go vote in this week's poll, you guys. Uh, this week's poll is a best crash sequence for obvious reasons. Uh, so we have uh, the Enterprise D, the infamous Enterprise D crash in uh, Star Trek Generations, uh, which is actually winning right now at fifty three point eight percent. We have Star Trek. Uh, we have a uh, Voyager from, uh, obviously, from Star Trek Voyager uh, episode Timeless, which is actually. Not the main timeline, so they don't really crash. Uh, USS Enterprise from Star Trek Beyond and the USS Discovery, obviously, from this episode that we're talking about today, Far From Home. I did see some people commenting, like, what about the Cerritos? Because we do see the Cerritos crash in Lower Decks. Guys, we only have four slots. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's also a really good crash sequence.
1: You would think that Twitter, with the, the the software sophistication that it has, would be able to open up polls to a little bit more. Because sometimes I like running polls too. And yeah, you're right. Uh, Lower decks had a great crash sequence. It was in Star Trek three. I know that you had Star Trek three originally on your list, and yeah, that was it bumped
2: it off. You know, that's I don't a know. too. But it's
1: we hard have to 100...
2: pick four when there's several.
1: That's true. But I do. I you know we were talking about this uh, before the show started, and I think that. It just has the most emotional impact uh, when the, the the saucer section for the Enterprise D crashed. There was just so many emotions that we were reading on the screen at the time.
2: Do you think? well, I mean, that's fair, but I mean, you know, you read the emotions of Kirk when when the Enterprise refit crashes too. I think that the Enterprise D is the most emotional for me because I grew up with the next generation. Mm. I can see how people that are a little bit older than us that grew up with the original series would think that the crash sequence and uh, the search for Spock is more emotional for them. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, after. it was for me. It was for me yeah, because I, I have grown up with that ship and it, you know, it takes me all the way back to the, you know, the 20 hour flyby from the motion picture. And that was the not extended cut. You know, it's a little bit longer than the extended cut. Yeah. So you kind of fall in love with that ship all over again.
2: Thomas is saying the saucer rolls. Yeah. The the Cerritos saucer. It does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good point. Maybe that's why we should we should have kept that maybe in the list. Uh, Twitter, get on that. Get a, give us at least two more slots to put in there. Uh, now, next uh, coming up next week on Mission Log Live, John and Holly are back. So I'm sorry, Carlos. We'll give you as much interesting commentary as we can. And then this Thursday, Mission Log, the regular podcast, drops with a review of Deep Space Nine's season five, Doctor Bashir. I presume
2: uh it's a good episode i love dr bashir
1: i hope uh, everyone enjoys that episode holly i hope you enjoy that episode too
2: i will because i love dr bashir he's my favorite De- deep space nine character
1: now uh <laughs> as well we just uh i don't want to spoil it i can't jump ahead in our in in the mission lot so i can't talk about what we just talked about Womp. sorry <laughs> offline offline and that's for all you people to listen to when you get a chance to get to that podcast Uh, now we're going to jump into the recap because the recap i tried to keep it condensed but there's a lot going on in this episode and i want to get to it earlier than later because earl's going to be lining up our calls soon and we want to get to as many uh, callers as we can because i know that there are a lot of people who want to get into this episode so here we are the recap from star trek discovery episode two far from home The USS Discovery emerges from the opposite end of the very same wormhole designed to propel Michael Burnham into the future. However, an unconscious crew roused by acting Captain Saru cannot recover in time enough to prevent Discovery from crashing onto the icy surface of a nearby planet. Standing tall amidst the chaos and despair, Saru reassures his crew that they are alive and together and that a fully functioning ship is the best way to find Michael. It's time to get to work. Jet Reno believes that the EBS conduits need immediate repair to get the shipwide systems operational. Tilly has confirmed that life does exist on this planet, affirming that their mission to stop control was in fact a success. Comms officer Bryce needs a new Rubidium translator to repair communications, and much to Commander Georges' desire to have comms repaired first, Saru has made his decision clear. On this strange new world, he and Ensign Tilly will seek out new life and new civilizations, and boldly go into the unknown to find the rubidium needed to repair communications, while the rest of the crew works together to get Discovery systems operational, including a barely-fit-for-duty Paul Stamets, who begrudgingly embraces Saru's esprit de corps, pairing up with Jet Reno in engineering, both of whom are gritting their teeth either at each other, or their injuries, or both. Setting forth on their mission, Saru and Tilly cautiously follow a mysterious figure who led them to a mysterious compound. Upon entering, they are met at phaser point by a group of miners, suspicious of these visitors, who must be from the crew of the crashed Starfleet ship. Kai, one of the more spoken miners of this compound, known only as the Colony, quickly realizes that Saru and Tilly are in fact Starfleet officers, and reluctantly decides to help them in exchange for dilithium, which the miners desperately need to power their ships. However, this detente is soon interrupted as Zera, the colony's supply carrier, arrives with his heavily armed cadre, and in quick fashion, guns down Kaizen's subordination, and holds Saru hostage as Tilly is forced to retrieve the dilithium from Discovery, risking certain death from the parasitic ice, that not only covers the entire planet, but is slowly eating through Discovery's hull. Suddenly, one of Zara's henchmen arrives with a straggler in tow. It's Giorgio, whose instincts allow her not only to assess the threat of what's happening in the bar, but to take swift and decisive action as well, as she neutralizes Zara and his men and thwarts his plan to steal the dilithium from the miners. As she's about to execute Zara, Saru intervenes as he's not about to compromise on the principles of Starfleet and what it means to ensure that their mission success does not come with too high of a moral price. With the rubidium component in tow, Bryce is able to establish communications. Stamets and Reno were also able to get the systems operational with just enough power to try and break free from the ice. But discovery is just too weak and to do so, and when the crew felt all the hope was lost, A mysterious tractor beam beams them from their icy tomb and hails discovery to everyone's shock, surprise, and relief. It's Michael Burnham who tells them that she's been waiting so long for this moment. She's been waiting for an entire year. The end. A lot. That's a lot to handle I in mean, one episode. I mean, there's a lot
2: of different storylines happening simultaneously,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I apologize to all of the uh, the Paul Stamis fans out there because his trial to get through the Jeffries tube and bleeding out and his interactions with Reno were amazing, amazing. But I really did kind of want to focus on how Saru basically became the captain that I think they all needed at the time. And, you know, as as we go forward with with, uh, our discussions on the podcast, here in Mission Log Live, we still have to talk about the morals, meanings, and messages before we get to some of our notes. And this is where it landed with me, Holly, and I want to see how it landed with you. I said that trust and teamwork is the only way to move forward. The previous rules of the Federation hierarchy and diplomacy have to be constantly reevaluated because the stability of the Federation no longer exists in this era. And the only way to survive and move forward is to adapt to every possible situation as they occur without betraying the principles that delivered you to this point, but also realizing that an unstable future requires unconventional thinking. Or three-dimensional right, I- thinking.
2: <laughs> I, well, yeah, kind of thinking outside of the box. Uh, I, I think that it's going to be very difficult for the characters to both think outside the box and to adhere to the principles of Starfleet. Um, especially, we've already seen like one baddie, baddie come into play, and I mean, he really challenged their their belief system in terms of how they should be reacting to him. Um, you know, and Gior- George. She's mirror universe, you know. She's Terran Georgia, so you know when she says this is who I am, obviously that's what she means. Like this is how she solves problems, but that's not how Starfleet solves problems. And I think that it's um, it's going to be a challenge. But I think that if they can adhere to it, um, you know, salute them because that would be (laughs) feels like it's going to be
1: difficult. It It feels like it's going to be difficult. I don't know how you felt about it, but it almost uh, to me felt like. The, the interaction between Saru and Georgiou, it's kind of like when Kirk was split into two separate pieces of himself where there's the mm. one that tries to adhere. This was the enemy within, obviously. The
2: enemy within, yeah. You
1: know, but it, there's the one cat part of the captain that was, he tried to do the right thing and he always tried to make the right decision, but sometimes second guessed himself. And then there was the evil Captain Kirk who was all about uh, he was the ego run-ranging. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he, which we find out in that episode, is Kirk needs that ego in order to have the conviction to make the decisions because we see, like, the good Kirk doesn't have the conviction to make decisions like that. That's what we learn. Like, you kind of need both sides of that. I think what Saru is also going to struggle with or what he's going to continue struggling with is, like, even though this is mirror George, he served under Giorgio. Giorgio was his captain for a long Mm. time and so to be met with this person who is essentially the same person but not, I'm sure is doing a number on his psyche about how, you know, it's probably really weird for him to be like I brought you here I, I am the acting commander of the captain of the ship that brought you here and you have to listen to what I say. I'm sure that's really difficult psychologically for him because this person standing in front of him was somebody who sort of commanded him at one point in time but not really Yeah, the mirror mirror universe messes me up (laughs) they're the same people but not really
1: (laughs) and I'm sure that when he's looking at her he's like "Um, my first reaction is to listen to you but I'm not supposed to listen to you because you're really not my captain so I can see the struggle that he's having with that but I also see kind of like his internal struggle where he's like yeah you're not wrong but we still are Starfleet and we need to follow the Starfleet principles in order to survive where wherever we are, whenever we are, um, and and we can touch on that in a little bit probably with our callers. But I'd like to uh, I'd like to extend to you, Holly, Dealer's Choice for tonight. Would you like to start off with your notes, and we can uh, you know we could talk about those? Like no, no, let's
2: start off. Yourself? We'll start off with callers, and I mean my notes are just like I take notes, just like train of thought, and I just kind of. Insert them as we go along because oh, they're yeah. not they're not full thoughts. They're just <laughs> like pick and scratch of what I was thinking at the time.
1: <laughs> All right, so let's jump into our first call. Our first call we have Chris Bauer. Chris, how are you? And how are things at Channel Four News? Uh, we're doing great. We're doing great. We've only had
3: like two riots in the office this week, so uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I like this episode. I like sort of the. Like the two-parter but not two-parter feel with the premiere. I think this episode also had a really good and I say this lovingly with respect sort of platitudes. We had Saru's line about, you know, it is okay to be afraid, but don't let the fear control you, which Mm -hmm. I think was really nice, especially coming from someone like Saru, Mm -hmm. who, you know, intimately knows what it is to have fear and to be afraid. And the other one I really liked was Reno's line about being helpless is a uh, a crummy feeling, and but it's not forever, and it doesn't mean it doesn't define you or something to that effect. So those were two really good ones that I like.
2: I think uh, touching on um, Saru specifically, um, his level of leadership in this episode is fantastic, especially in his interactions with Tilly. Um, I mean, obviously we already talked about him, you know, basically standing up to Georgette. Um, but his leadership is on full display. He's super calm. That ready, the ready room meeting where that he decides that he's going to take Tilly and, you know, Tilly is, is reprimanded by Georgette because she's sort of tripping over her words, which, you know, that's her anxiety, her social anxiety, which a lot of people are, are really connecting with, um, because there's that representation there. Um, and then she full on, insults Tilly's like skills and readiness for this. But, you know, I think that Saru choosing her was a good boost of confidence for her. And he even says, like, the reason why I picked you is because you make a wonderful first impression, which is such a nice thing to say to somebody. Um, but yeah, I mean, Saru's level of leadership in this, I mean, he's just really blossoming as a leadership character. Um
1: yeah, and at the same time, I think that it's uh it's understandable that I know that Tilly suffers from you know her anxiety and that has you know that has been on display in the show, but this is a whole different level now. I mean, he, they know that they don't know where they are. Their ship is crippled. A they don't know. They don't know where they are. When,
2: they don't know when they when are. Where they
1: are exactly, and that has to be. I'm going to say this without even probably even getting close to the full meaning of the word. That has to be unsettling, in every possible way. And I think that it's 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 beautiful that Saru really. It's not like we don't we just see him immediately become captain. There's something that has always been inside of him that has been able to finally you know reach this moment where it's not like I'm choosing to be a leader because this is what everyone needs from me. There is a part of that but it just rolls out of him so naturally as these are the things that need to be done i'm going to triage the situation i need to get the systems up first i need to make sure the crew's okay and then we can go out and explore because and i, I think, think
2: he he sees that in tilly too
1: right he and absolutely
2: he has- sees that in tilly which is why he's sort of um
1: it's like why- fostering that along yeah yeah
2: fostering that's a good word thank
1: you yeah <laughs> yeah and it 's a nice pairing between those two, because well, first of all the the physical uh, <laughs> the physical disposition between the two having such a tall, lanky person, and she not matching his height, so even when he looks down he 's not looking down on her, he 's very gentle with her, very patient because he knows that she probably feels much of the way he felt for a long time, which is that that prey animal instinct of being yeah. a corpian.
2: And when she's saying that, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Like, I just do that when I'm scared. And he's like, I know. Mm -hmm. It's a great exchange. And it's so simple, too. Him just saying, I know, speaks volumes.
1: How did you feel about Saru uh, becoming this, the leader here, Chris? Um, Did you feel that it's been earned over the last two years to this point?
3: I I think, yeah. I think because we've we've always had sort of the Michael Saru dynamic. And they've sort of, you know, quote, unquote, co-captain for lack of a better term over the past two seasons. And it's nice to sort of see Saru coming to his own, because I think we've always known he's had this potential. There's a reason that he was first officer or whatever his rank was on the Shenzhou and later Discovery. Like, he's made his way up. He knows his stuff. Um, but it's nice to see sort of him, you know, coming to his own. And like you guys were saying, those personal connections, the way he sort of, you know, grasps onto Tilly. And is like, I, I get how you feel, but I also know that you are an exceptional member of my team and you have skills that I need right now. And I'm going to recognize both of those parts simultaneously, like the personal and the professional, which I think was really cool of him. So yeah, I like, I like where he's going to season.
1: Did you have a favorite moment in this episode, maybe more so than the first episode?
3: A uh, favorite moment, literally anything Jet Reno says. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they? I think that they're, this is one of my notes. I think they're doing a really, it, the, the actor who plays tig or uh, her name's tig uh, mm-hmm. irl um if you've ever seen any of her stand up she's got pretty dry humor and i think they're doing a really great job of sort of putting that on display i think my favorite line is she's like when she calls uh, a it's bobcat and yeah. He's like Bobcat and she's like I don't know I'm on yeah. drugs. It's such a good delivery. <laughs> yeah. It's such a good dry humor delivery. I think she's doing a really great job in that role. Uh yeah. I was listening to um she she did an interview and they were talking about how the character's original name was Denise and she was like look at me I'm not, I'm not a Denise. She's not a Denise. It's, at all. She actually picked the the name of the character Jet is uh from Joan Jet. Oh cool. Fun fact for you. That's awesome, (laughs) but um, yeah, no, I agree with you, Chris. Not to interrupt you, but I agree with you. Like TIG's doing a great job with that character.
1: What I love about, I'm sorry, Chris, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say that's uh, shameless plug here. That's the the pod directive, the new, the Mm -hmm. one that Tawny and uh, Paul Tompkins do.
2: Yeah, the official one. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's really great. Uh, The other line that was really good was when she's talking to the guy who's cleaning up the goo, and he's like, Gene. (laughs) <laughs> My name is
1: Gene. I've already, I've already forgotten that. <laughs> that well, was, we'll get that was, to that uh, goop part in a second. Well, why thing.
2: do we remember his name is Gene? I 100 remember because I was like, oh, I wonder if that's an homage to to Gene, to Brodenberry. Maybe,
1: maybe. Uh, but understand. yeah, and no. that guy's totally lower decadent right there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what did she
2: call? It? She calls him Hazmat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hazmat. <laughs> <laughs> Cle- cleaning up aisle 5 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris, we have, we have time for about one more discussion point. So is there anything else that you'd like to talk about for this particular episode? Because we have some callers lining up.
3: Yeah, um, I like I, I, I've i gone on record as saying that one of my favorite parts about Discovery has always been the, the care and attention. They show the bridge crew. And I like that we're continuing that. In season three, I don't know what's going on with Detmer, but the fact that Detmer gets an arc at all, I think, is really cool. That we're, you know, devoting time to these people. Do you uh, have you know, any?
2: Do you have any thoughts on what might be going on with Detmer? Because I have a couple.
3: Uh, to me, she just seems sort of generally like shell shocked and PTSD. PTSD I, don't know. I have that on my list. Yeah.
2: So the three things yeah. that I sort of I was like, okay, PTSD, uh, some sort of hearing loss, and I think the most interesting one. Although I don't know if they'd actually do it, would be did control get into her hardware?
1: That's possible. That's a good yeah, theory. I,
3: I thought about that. I'm like maybe, I don't, but I feel like we sort of wrapped up the control that thing. That arc. Sort of that's the, fair. the met. Yeah, the metagame here is like, we're, we're doing new things now in season three. We're in the future. That's fair. There and are- that's
2: why when yeah. I say, like, I don't know if they'd actually do that, I was like, yeah, we did wrap that up and launched them into the future. And, but I, that was one of the things that I was going through, like, what are my theories of what's going Cause something is very obviously going on with her. Um, I-
1: I think think, uh, like um, there's something going on with maybe her PTSD has been retriggered because this was as bad of a crash as say like what happened to the Shenzhou in the battle of the binary stars.
2: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what throws me off on all of them though, is if you watch her, when she goes to sick bay, she's told she's okay. All her neurological scans came back. Okay. She doesn't have a concussion. I was like, well, that I don't think that would check for hearing loss. When she walks out of sick bay, Colbert is walking towards her she completely ignores him and he's very like confused about it. And I was yeah. like, what is, this yeah. is, this is a clue. And I don't know what it means. Um, but yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I'm really excited that she's getting a story arc because I think she's a, she's a great character.
1: Me too. Me too. Well, Chris, thanks for calling in. And, um, if I have to be completely honest, I do miss your headgear. I thought you were going to show up today <laughs> knowing that I was here <laughs> and wearing your traditional headgear. And when we see each Wait, other, what is in person- his
2: headgear? I don't know what it is.
1: Chris, would you like to explain? I-
2: I have,
3: it's essentially, like, a kind of lightweight, like, wicking shawl thing that I wear over the entire head. What I do is, especially in the summer, I'll, like, wet it down, and I'll put it over my head, and it sort of wicks and cools myself off.
1: That sounds
3: delightful. I happened to call into the show one time, and when I was in it, I was out having dinner with a friend, and Norm has immediately taken to it. And so uh, I I break it out
1: sometimes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a signature statement it's very bold very bold and and i, I that's that's just this headgear chris you know not the old traditional braces headgear i'm talking about a brand new fashion statement that you've uh you've definitely um given your taste and a stamp on here with with good fashion sense so right. anyway i appreciate I just, that thank you <laughs> i just love seeing you man i'm just giving you a hard time but i appreciate you calling in thanks for thanks for joining the show again of course anytime all right, buddy. Take care. Say it. All right. Now, Holly. Before we get into the next caller, we have a little business to take care of because we got to take care of the people who take care of us, and we're going to be talking about the Eagle Moss Hero Collector Star Trek Bookshop Collection. Now, I know that a lot of Mission Log listeners, both on the podcast and here, are familiar, undoubtedly familiar, with the variety of collections of model starships that are gleaned from every corner. Of the Star Trek universe, I have racks of them myself that you can't see from the bridge, and they maybe our listeners are not as familiar with the uh, the expanded product line, the extended universe, if you will, of the Star Trek products at Eagle Moss Hair Collector, including a wide variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available only online at the Eagle Moss shop. They are gorgeous. They are. They are collectible. I have a few, and sometimes I'm that collector. I don't know if you are, Holly, but I'm that collector. At- I'm
2: a collector, but only of certain things. Having worked okay. in the archive, I had to pick and choose what I collected. I do have some Eagle Maw ships, though, but they have so many. Uh, fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published. That is true. We're not bragging. That is true. Mm-hmm. Each extensively researched and developed by he- by Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of another Star Trek expert, Ben Robinson, who sure. I adore. He's great. He's great. Ben Robinson is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, books from the Star Trek Shipyard series presents a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies. From the original series, Forward to Discovery, and Backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, the Andorians, Tellarites, and the Bajorans. I mean, they hit on some ones that are, like, super... Like, you don't see them very often, which I appreciate. Books in the Designing <laughs> Starship series boldly go, where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and detail of the ships from every era. There are even volumes of the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection.
1: I think they're amazing. And with with the uh, ships that I've collected, you know, they have those signature magazines that ha- that, that do the deep dive into... All of different like smaller details and yeah. the concept art and even, you know, trivia from the episodes. But what I like about these is that I love collected trade paperback hardcover novels. Yeah. As much as I love the the uh the individual comic books, I love it when they're like one premium hardcover format that I will never open because that's the kind of collector that I am. I'm a terrible collector. I'm a, <laughs> a collector that keeps things on the shelf. Sometimes I'll buy like a second copy just because then I can like get into it and dog ear it and I do that too. <laughs> I <know it's> terrible. <laughs> But your collector's out there, and you know what we're talking about. And so we're talking about, there's everything for a Star Trek fan of every generation that we're talking about. Plus, for friends of Mission Log Live, use Mission 10, as I mentioned before, earlier, before we started the show, at checkout and receive 10% off all books and graphic novels. To browse around their shop, please visit herocollector.com forward slash books and use promo code Mission 10 at checkout for your 10% discount. And now waiting patiently in, I believe it is the engineering section of the Cerritos, which I'm sorry, Zach, that we didn't talk about it crashing, her crashing. We have Zach Cody on the line. Zach, how are you? And thanks for joining the show. Hi. Uh, hi, Norman. Hi, Holly. Uh, hey. I hope you guys can hear me.
2: Oh, we can. Um, and I'm like looking really close at <laughs> your background. It's so good. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. Um, my favorite part of the ship. Got to hang out by the, the Um Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, uh, first off, I agree with everything that you guys and, and uh, Chris said about Saru. Um, I think that he's basically captain in all the rank right now. Um, but I also really liked the moments we got with Stamets and Culver this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. We like we haven't gotten too much of their relationship outside of like crisis moments, and this was still kind of a crisis moment. But it was a little bit more of them being like nice and together, which was good to see. Um, I would like to get them having these moments without one of them bleeding everywhere for once. But uh, we can get there eventually. It's still uh, still early in the season. The uh, what I, I,
2: I, There's something that I really liked about what they did with these characters in this episode specifically. And it's because I can really, really relate. Is when Colbert gets upset with Stamets. There are two different variations of this in the episode where he's like, "I'm, I'm going to kill you. Like you're you need to be safe or I'm gonna kill you. Which is obviously like a juxtaposition, but um, you know, I've I've I felt that. I've I've felt that before with partners, like yeah. Protect you from
1: yourself it. and if you don't, I'll take care of it, you know? <laughs> I, I do love how they approach each other in this episode because you're right. Paul is trying to protect, um, I'm sorry. Um, Dr. Hugh is trying to protect Paul from himself because Paul seems like, okay, if I can stand up and walk and talk, then I can go do my job. And I love the whole thing. It's like, okay, you can do that. If you can spell this out for me. And this is that, you know, it's like, thank you, blah, blah, blah. blah. All you got me with this lousy t-shirt. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. Okay. You, you can play the big man here. You can play the hero. I'm just going to give you this one small test and I'm your doctor and i have clout over you with that and i'm also your partner so i also has have clout over <laughs> you over that and that's that was just it was funny but also serious at the same time and uh you know how serious when you use the hyphen or the missing hyphen in t-shirt to basically not allow him to leave sick bay
2: that's 100% something i would do too it was a lot of my friends call me data because i'm so like they'll be joking i'll be well uh um but i would do that too like well actually T-shirt says a hyphen in it. <laughs> yeah,
1: and we're, I'm going to give you a clean bill of health as long as you do it exactly the way that it has to be done. You know, and it's it's a nice little treat trick, and but it obviously shows like how much they deeply care for each other, not only in in, in their personal relationship but as professionals as well. Because he doesn't want him to go into Jeffrey tubes and bleed out because the ship got shaken around. I mean, why would somebody let them do that? Because he didn't, <laughs> and that's why I love the the pairing with Jet because Jet is the same way. It's like, look. My back's trashed. Your insides are pretty much scrambled. Uh, We got to work together here, or else we're not going to get our job done. And I I found that in this episode, and and maybe Zach, you may agree that there are all these interesting pairings where you don't think there would have been interesting pairings. And they worked for me. I didn't think they would, but they did because it's in those situations where when you're not comfortable with somebody and you have to work closely with them. If you can focus on what needs to be done, sometimes really interesting, positive things happen and you start to grow as characters and as people. That's the way I saw it. How did you see it?
0: Um, I I agree. I, I like the pairings that we got in general. I like that it was more character moments in general through the episode. And we got to see a lot more of the bridge crew. Um, the one pairing that we got teased though, that we didn't get to see was uh, Giorgio and Linus. Like I wanted to see that scene. That would have been a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I, I think we're – I get the feeling that we're going to see more of him this season. Um, oh, I hope so. Especially with uh, with uh, another one of his species. I forget what they were called, but with one of them popping up on the Titan, they've got to be up in their brains at CBS. So we yeah. mm. see what happens.
2: I mean, the people that are writing these, are they're picking out a lot of – uh, existing species that we haven't seen in a long time. They're picking out a lot of... The writers are doing a great job. They're picking a lot of, like, these random callbacks. I mean, um, the... cord I have to pronounce it right. Knights, that's what the characters are at the colony. That's actually a callback to Enterprise, because those... They appeared in two different episodes, uh, Shadows of Pagem and Demons. So, that's one callback. Um... Rubindium is actually from patterns of force t o s so like mm-hmm. they're they're doing a lot of really great deep cut callbacks,
1: which I appreciate. I'm pretty sure I've mispronounced all of that in <laughs>
2: uh, I mean, here's the thing is like mispronouncing something that you've only ever read is like that's a thing that happens. Did anybody else that. notice too? I don't yeah. know if this was meant to be a reference, but I kind of think that it was. he said uh seventy two 72 crew members, and then Tilly corrects them and is like 88. Mm -hmm. As soon as he said 72, I was like, Oh, are we making a con reference right now?
1: 72 superhumans in stasis. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it's still 72. It's like like, 72 is the new 47, you guys.
1: Oh, I like that. That's going to be on a t shirt. (laughs) John Earl makes that a note. That's going to be on our next mug. 72 is the new 47. (laughs) I love that. But that's a great, that's a great. Subtle point, you know, that, that's a number that I know a lot of people are, are used to hearing, you know, uh, a crude compliment, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. Of 72. So I thought, I, I love all those little hidden details. As a fan of Enterprise, I'm glad that you brought up those two episodes, Shadows of Pajam, one of my favorites, uh, Demons and, uh, and Terra Prime also.
2: Although they had really, the, the so that, that species actually had super super different makeup between those two episodes of Enterprise and so the makeup that we see in this episode is actually closer to what we saw in Shadows of P- uh, Pajem so uh, it was a choice it was a choice
1: well there are always know. these <laughs> evolutionary things that are happening in in the different series. I mean for for me and I didn't I didn't a ch- get a chance to talk about this uh a, a, about my feelings for the first episode, but the only thing that really didn't really sit well with me and that's just my personal choice is the Andorian makeup. I felt that the Andorians were maybe just taken a little too far in in their interpretation. I and I love the Klingons in the series.
2: In the like the harshness of the angles of like their jaw and their cheeks and stuff. And and some of the added
1: some of the added uh, prosthetics where they they had like double cheek folds
2: right and,
1: yeah cuz I, I know mean, that
2: valid but that's also them adhering to what had already been done cuz we've already seen andorians in the discovery universe like we they've already oh, been in sure. episodes so sure.
1: and it's just one of those it, they were so close up i guess and i didn't i maybe i paid more attention to them this time because they were a little bit more prominence, you know, right. chasing down, you know, I, Burnham and I Bugs, think but.
2: they're doing that with all... I mean, I love the Tellerites. I think the Tellerites now oh, yeah. look how they imagined they should look back during, like, TOS, but didn't mm-hmm. have the ability to do back then, like, didn't have the makeup technology to do. I love the Tellerites. I think they're... It's a great iteration of them.
1: Uh,
0: Zach, did you I have a... Like the Andorian, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, no, no. I, I feel like they're almost going more pug like with the Andorians. Uh, like, just off of the antennas they're kind of like like if you see uh like different kind of mantises like their faces have those little angular juts coming out um That's and like true. you watch the nature documentaries and they've they've done stuff with the voice for the andorans there's like a modulation on it um at least at least there was when we saw them last season um i don't, I don't remember if there was last episode but uh i'll have to rewatch it but they're they're doing different stuff I, i've I don't know whether I like it better or worse than Enterprise, but I like that they're doing new things.
2: I just like that they're calling back to Enterprise at all. If I'm being honest, I think Enterprise is so
1: overlooked. It's one of my favorites. Definitely. Holly, we'll have to we'll have to uh, about Enterprise, our love for Enterprise, because. I love enterprise and i 'm glad enterprise, that it gets yeah. i 'm glad that it gets referenced because it is part of the universe, and they're using all different types of callbacks, as you say and I love okay so here 's one thing and this is something new to me, and it 's not necessarily a callback maybe we 've seen this weapon before, maybe we haven't but what did you think of of zara 's pulse weapon that tortured? Kai, Cal. Did I get Cal. that right, Holly? Cal. It's Cal. I got that wrong. You know why I got that wrong? And I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with all the listeners, because I'm not wearing my reading glasses. And L's and I's look at the distance that I'm reading right now, look exactly the same. I'm it's it's horrible. I'm so sad that I have to wear them. But anyway, <laughs> Cal, Cal, he was he wasn't shot, he was tortured. That was yeah. a torture gun.
2: And I'm so sad because the interaction he has with Tilly is so sweet. And it I'm is. like, oh, Tilly's got a boyfriend. And then he dies. And I'm like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. Um, Yeah, I mean, but, you know, we were talking about this before we came on the air. Is like he uses that weapon on Georgiou when she busts in, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure this is the first Michelle Yao fight sequence that we get in Star Trek. And I'm very excited about it i'm so excited that we got a michelle Yao fight sequence uh but you know she just gets basically what i would consider like set to stun and you know he you know freezes her up but she doesn't die what he does to cal is so mean i feel like when you set a phaser to kill you know people disintegrate and that's rude but i also feel like there's not a lot of torture or pain in that process like it happens pretty quick this was really mean like super mean I just obviously not the ideals of Starfleet but they're not Starfleet so
0: I uh, almost thought that it was a callback to um uh the most toys uh from TNG with uh that, that guy that steals data and uh, uh puts yeah. into menagerie because he has some kind of phaser that's been outlawed because it's too mm-hmm. torturous and he does end up killing someone and it like she gets vaporized and it lingers a little bit. So I almost yeah, interpretation like was was of that.
2: And that's a hundred percent why they outlawed it is because it's not a quick death and it's not yeah. like you like, you feel it, like, you are torn apart from the inside out, and he does kill somebody, and you watch her, like, it's not, uh, quick. The other, the other one that I'm thinking of is, um, also a TNG episode where that they have that course of people that are, um, speaking for the deaf character, um, and his, he has three of them in his course. Gets vaporized, but it happens pretty quick. I mean, you see it, and they're 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 gone, and they, it doesn't seem like they really suffered.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. They turn yeah, into skeletons, so right? And then they just sort kind of, of, yeah. And then they sort them.
2: Of disintegrate. Yeah, but yeah. It, it just ugh, it's so mean.
1: Because I'm trying to place like the technology sometimes. Now I I, I like the sonic disruptors that they had in a way uh, in the first episode, and, and obviously, like Tilly said, you know, um, he, she made mention of something about like put down your phaser, and we can talk. But this weapon though, it was almost kind of like it was an extension of Zara's attitude. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't like what you said, Cal. Um, and I'm really, I'm really kind of tired of you like now speaking up and being subversive and trying to raise, you know, this attitude against me. He just kept you know what I mean? It's like an extension of his meanness in a way. But for Giorgio, she thought it was foreplay. So I thought, I'd love that line. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's a great line to reinforce that she's not from our universe. She's from the Terran Empire.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, and that's a great point because I know that I've read some, uh, some things online. I try not to read too much into it and online. But they're saying, like, how could she possibly do what she did if she got shot several times by the same weapon? It's like because she's not from our universe. She's a different person. She's a different – I wouldn't say species. Would you say species?
2: I – no, I mean she's human. I do know that you know they they obviously they talked about the having their eyes are a bit different from ours, and that's one of the giveaways that we had. Um, that's it's how a different type of human, right? Yeah. But has she endured more pain? Probably. She endured has higher them. tolerance for pain. I would say that. 100%.
1: Definitely. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, coming out of that universe. So, uh, but yeah, that the the weapon that he's using. Maybe we'll learn more about it. I just. It's a real rude weapon.
1: Now Earl came in and because he's our producer and engineer. The episode was loud as loud a whisper. Loud as a whisper.
2: That's the that's the TNG episode where the character has three course members that talk for him
1: because he's a mute. Now it's like I got one more question for you before we have to let you go, but I do love Holly's theory that Detmer in some ways may be influenced by whatever remnant of control may have still been in the ship. What do you think about that? I find that very interesting.
2: I oh, don't if they would do that though. Do you think that they would do that?
1: It could take on a completely different form though. It may have just, it may have in some way mutated if technology can do that. And I don't know. I, I just find it that they focused on something about her that went wrong after she was launched over the comm system. Or or her or her um or her station. And yeah, during the crash, right? You know, she wasn't yeah. quite settled. And even though the, the medical scans said that neurologically she was okay, she wasn't okay. There's something there that's happening.
2: Well, I mean, and the other thing that I focused on when she was in when she was in um sick bay is that you know she said your neurological scans came back normal. You're you don't have a concussion. You're free to go. And I was like, did. Was anything else checked? Because my other thought process was that she might be going deaf, um, Mm -hmm. which is not something that's checked from a neurological standpoint, what they're checking your spine and your brain. And uh, that's about it. Um, You know, I've had a concussion and they're not fun, but I don't remember anybody checking my hearing. So... she could be going deaf, which also could be a result of something else too. I'm super interested in it. Like they've set it up with the teases that they set up with the, the few scenes that Detmer's in and the sort of clues that she's giving away. Um, I'm, I'm super interested in in her storyline and where it's going to go and what's actually wrong with her. But I, I, I don't know if they would do like the control thing being in her, i don't and, and and if they did i don't know how i'd feel about it what i'd be like oh yeah that was a great idea or, i thought we wrapped that up
1: maybe <laughs> yeah maybe uh a little too extended in that storyline maybe we should have just left that behind in the past the way they sacrificed everything to do to get it out of their system out of their timeline i should say
2: maybe yeah
1: you know um, we're we're having a little bit of uh, audio trouble with zach zach are you still with us can you still respond to us because we have him on the line, and it's unfortunate that he won't be able to uh, respond to some of our comments here. Uh, and, and we appreciate you calling in, but maybe uh, maybe you could like just you know look over your shoulder, see if Billups has a sol- uh, solution for you, since you are kind of like hanging out in engineering with him, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but until then, though, we'll keep you on the line and see if things like clear up a little bit. But Holly, I would love to get to some of the points that you had here in your notes, because I, I do like um, there, there are some things I think that are worth exploring here.
2: My weird train of thought. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do I do have a note in here that ju- this is literally all it says. It says programmable matter. I want some.
1: Programmable so we, see matter. Pro- yeah. we see
2: programmable matter in both, in both episodes, in both of the first two episodes, we see it obviously, uh, with Sahil and his on, on the station. And he has like the bed that goes away. And like, we talked about this at length because it was, it was a really cool sequence on mm-hmm. um, the bed that goes away. His, his desk that comes up. Awesome. Um, but we see it in this episode, um, where Cal is remaking the unit that Tilly brings to them to be fixed, to fix their comm system. Um, And she makes a comment like, I've never seen anything do that before. And he's like, this is programmable matter, which, I mean, is apparently we're finding out that they use that for a lot of stuff. And why wouldn't they? It's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you have that kind of technology now, they're kind of like teasing out in the future. It's going to be interesting to see, like, where they are with, say, replicator technology. Obviously, they, you know, they have, they have, uh, personal transporters, which jumps the technology that we're used to, or at least they're used to in their timeline. Not so the Kelvin
2: be... timeline, though. The Kelvin timeline, they have personal transporters. True
1: enough. True enough. I know that, I know that there, there are discussions about that, but hey, you know what? <laughs> why not? I'm, I'm a, I'm a kind of like a why not? I mean, someone obviously has been able to create some use out of it. And are we talking about John Harrison's mm-hmm. personal transporter? Yeah.
2: And I mean, you know, Scotty talks about it like, you know, he talks to Kirk and Spock is like, I found this and in his jump ship and this is what he used. And are you sure? And he's like, yeah. Um you know, the Kelvin timeline is so interesting from the standpoint of if you read the comic books. I don't know how many people are reading the comic books. Um, There's a lot of backstory for the Kelvin timeline in the comic books in in the con series and in several other series that sort of fills in why their technology is actually so advanced um, in comparison to the prime timeline at the same time. And it's literally as a result of Nero coming through and attacking the Kelvin and they they feel like they have to go out and like collect more, That's why Khan is found differently. You know, someone else finds him, not Kirk, this time around. And, you know, why was that? Why was he out there that far? And, you know, we were looking for better technology. And, um,
1: what's the arms race? It was the arms race kind of. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a
2: good way to put that is it, it was an arms race. That's why, you know, but, you know, we have seen personal transporters in the Kelvin timeline, but, um, you know, in the prime timeline, this is, this is new technology with them being even before, you know, they fall into, Not now. They're you know, thousand years into the future, or nine hundred and thirty, whatever it is. But you know, they're actually before Kirk, so they've never been before.
1: One step further. I do remember reading kind of like the um, uh, the countdown comic books, and um, Uh it makes more sense because that was that was um, I guess it was kind of like a Shanghai Borg technology that they that they infused into well the Tal Shiar. They infused that into the Narada before the Narada was sent back. So now you're not just getting future technology; you're getting future. mm Borg-manipulated technology, which is, like, if you can re-engineer that or reverse-engineer that, you're definitely having a leg up in the arms race.
2: The comic books, like, not to toot the comic books horn. I'm going to toot the comic books horn. The comic books are really... IDW does a really good job at filling in sort of um, information that we don't see on screen or... Uh, storylines that would take too long to explore. Mm -hmm. Um, But they explain a lot of stuff. If you're not reading the comic books and you're interested in like, why this and why that? It might be, it might be answered in the comic books.
1: And I know we didn't talk about it in our ad, but uh, Eagle Moss hero collection, they do uh, create this really gorgeous trade paperback novel set of many of the comic books. I can't say that they do it for all the comic books, but if you collect all of them, they create this fantastic mosaic across the spines of their Oh body. yeah,
2: the spines, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh my god. They do. If I, if I only had the room and the money and the time to read all of those. <laughs> now I like what you said here. Tilly's offer of dilithium based on her observations is very astute.
2: I mean, she's a little bit she's a little bit uh Sherlock Holmes in this and her deductions, right? So mm-hmm. th- we know as an audience as the audience, we know about the burn. We know that for whatever reason, there's not a lot of dilithium in the universe, that most of it exploded on some, you know, just some went poof one day. Um, the characters on Discovery, though, they they haven't been told about this yet. And so we see that sequence with Tilly walking through the corridor with Saru and she's like, you know, I don't know what planet we're on, but it's not the right one. It's not the one that we thought we were going to end up on, but there, there is life and that's good. But also like there's like warp capable ships and like I'm reading warp capable ships, but then I'm not reading any dilithium readings. And so mm-hmm. for her to put all of that information together and deduce in that moment while they're in that bar to be like, we have dilithium right is is so astute of her and and I again we were talking earlier about whether or not she would be captain material hundred percent you could you could say that she is captain material based on that deduction and interaction alone
1: well, she's definitely like opening herself up to like absorbing as much information as possible, and that's that's kind of like the great um you know the great comparison between like her and say uh, O, because Georgeorgio wants action first and Tilly, much under maybe Saru's tutelage, is like, well, no, let's assess the situation first. We can always go into action. It's not like we're not trained to be, you know, to be able to defend ourselves if necessary. That's like one of those Star- Starfleet mantras. You know, you know, we we are a mission and exploration of peace and discovery, but we will defend ourselves if necessary. And the threat wasn't there. So she was trying to use as much to her advantage to be able to say, you know what? We have a problem, you have a problem, let's work things out. And Amidst all the confusion of trying to still figure out when they were or when mm-hmm. they are, yeah, like why isn't there dilithium in these warp capable ships? What happened to them? Where's Michael? We don't know where she is yet until the end. right. There's so much at stake here with trying and without trying to do the one thing that Sreux is trying to stop Giorgio from doing is that's to eliminate any possible avenue of diplomacy,
2: right. I mean, in this, obviously her, her offering up their dilithium, I mean, potentially could cause a problem later because she doesn't know that she doesn't know why there is, she knows that for some reason there's not enough dilithium. She doesn't know why though. So, I mean, she could assume that it's, you know, being held hostage by some crazy baddie um, and they'll solve that problem later, but literally like. Not a lot of it exists anymore. So, you know, she doesn't know that, like, giving it away, I feel like that might cause a problem later on.
1: Well, it's interesting that, say, one of the more <laughs> kind of um, ubiquitous minerals in the Federation has now become, like, one of the rarest prized possessions that anybody can barter for.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
1: just – it's an interesting way that they're going to, like, move forward with this. So in, in the last few minutes that we have here, what are your expectations or what do you anticipate to see as we follow up this storyline in Episode 3 in People of Earth?
2: um i mean i feel like they need to go back and show us what uh burnham's been doing for the last year
1: and do you think if it's, it's, it's going to be done in like a parallel storyline, another burnham book and grudge story or are we going to try and get them all together sometime in this episode
2: I don't know. And, you know, thinking about it, like, I'm not sure if I can answer, like, what I would prefer in terms of storytelling at this point. Um, but I do think that, you know, one of the major things we're going to have to say, I mean, they might do a whole other episode just on Burnham and what she's been doing with Book and Grudge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, I put this in my notes, too, that, like, only a year elapsed mm-hmm. before, for Michael Burnham waiting for Discovery to get there. And I I keep thinking about how Nero's crew in Star Trek 2009 waited 25 years for Spock to come through the black hole. Um,
1: and a year is not grudge. that long. <laughs> a, a lot of grudges were built up in in those 25 years with
2: yeah, and a year with, is not that long for her to have to wait. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that uh, we'll see how that turns out. But I I feel like yeah, we're gonna have to see what she's been she's been doing for the last year. Uh, she's probably she's probably adjusted to to the cuz what is she going to do in that year? Like she's obviously she's going to have been looking for discovery but she needs to find a way to kind of survive. So I'm interested in seeing what her life becomes in this new timeline cuz there's no Starfleet, she can't go back to that. Like what is she going to do? Probably become a trader.
1: Well, it was my impression that at the end of the first episode when she you know when they unrolled the new Federation flag I'm, I'm kind of hoping to see like what kind of end roads in a year that she was able to establish to try and find Federation sympathizers to bring to their cause. And the discovery, you know, the discovery would obviously be a huge boon to them because it's like, look, this was, this was our tech that we used to bring the Federation back. Now I know that on social media, and I posted this too, I'm a huge fan of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and I find similar parallels to that story. I'm not saying that the entire story now moving forward is going to co-opt that, but I do love the fact that in a, in a hopeless future, in a hopeless situation, the hope of the past is going to get, well, to use their catchphrase, hope lives again. And there was a lot of mention of the word hope, and there's a lot of mention, or at least in the attitude, uh, as seen with Saru, like we can't despair, we can't fall to despair, or else we lose everything that we are about being Starfleet. Even if Starfleet doesn't exist, the spirit's still alive. Right.
2: They want to hold us. up. They want to hold up those ideals.
1: Yeah, and for me, that it feels so very Star Trek when they when they focus on those quieter moments where it's not a ship, it's not a fleet. It's not an armada. It's not this, this, you know, this uh, congregation of planets. It is the spirit of preserving hope and moving forward, you know, with diplomacy and trying to bring people, uh, you know, into this, into this wonderful, you know, conglomeration of worlds.
2: Right. And I feel like what they're going to find coming into this is sort of like a Wild West. Like we've already seen that, right? In the bar. The bar is literally like a Wild West comparison. <laughs> right? Yeah, he walked in. He walked in whispers and I was like, "Okay." And then I started thinking about it and I was like, and then they, there's like a full-on bar ball. I mean, there's a there's a really good comparison to, you know, like Fistful of Datas. Like it's yeah. it's full-on Wild West. And so I think that uh, you know, them coming into that time and, and needing to sort of stick to the ideals of Starfleet so that they can reestablish some sort of order with also the challenge of there being no dilithium, which at the end of that episode, they still have not heard about the burn. Am I wrong?
1: They have not, or at least they don't understand it fully. They
2: don't, uh, they know that dilithium is not there for some reason or it's sparse, but they don't know why they're not told yeah. about the burn yet. So yeah, all
1: Zara said was, he goes, the burn, you know, the burn was great for me. But he never really went into it. He just. But he
2: didn't go into what it what it actually was. So right.
1: exactly, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think that it'll it'll be interesting to see. I really I really enjoy the from a story writing standpoint. I really enjoy as an audience knowing something and the characters
1: not. Yeah, because it we are you know in 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 a way you know the the the, uh, the characters are the they are the extension of us or we are the extension of the characters. You know, we break that fourth wall when we're just as much in the dark as they are because we're trying to figure out our way along mentally, narratively with the show. And I think that, It provides a deeper connection to what they're going through as we're going through it as well. Not everything has to be answered all at once. You have to savor what's happening and you have to, you know, cherish what's going to be happening, you know, in the future. The one thing I do love, though, is because I'm a huge Firefly fan. I love the fact that I'm seeing or hearing the name book mentioned again in science fiction in something that is embracing, um, Wild West roots very much like Firefly did and very much like Star Trek did. It was the, Mm -hmm. it was the, the Wild West of space.
2: Yeah, wagon train to the stars is what the
1: wagon train to the stars is exactly,
2: what Gene described it as. Yeah.
1: Well, we are at the hour, Holly. It goes so fast. <laughs> we'll have to do this again sometime, perhaps in two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> and see where this journey takes us. And I do want to apologize to the Facebook viewers who have stayed with us but weren't able to uh, engage in the chat. Something happened in the chat. We do apologize, and we'll try and have that all fixed for the next show when John and Holly are back on next week. But until that time, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for our callers for joining in and participating And thank you to Eagle Moss for supporting the show. And I just want to make mention that uh, the pin that I'm wearing, if I could point to it, (laughs) is sponsored by CuffLinksInc.com. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is done by the incomparable Earl Green. Be sure to visit rottenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thanks to everyone for joining us live or joining us later. Thank you, Holly, for a wonderful show. It was a pleasure to work with you for my very first time. You too. And I can't wait for us to do this again. So everyone out there, please stay safe. Please stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week.